this morning we are going to look at the declarations of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so we're going to find our text here in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Our text this morning that we're going to focus on, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. John says here, and this is 1 John, just in case you were maybe in the book of John, the Gospel of John. This is 1 John, the epistle. He says, and we know that the Son of God is come. And we know that the Son of God is come. And I want to take a few moments this morning and uh, use that as our text. In, our white, in the White Baptist book that Pastor Jim wrote with uh, Brother Dalton Robertson, um, I have encouraged our young people, and if for nothing else, to, for the introduction, to read that book. And so I hope those of you that are parents um, in here, I hope that you'll get that book for them and make them read it. They need a little practice getting back into school, so it'd be really good for them. But I love the introduction, especially for uh, teenagers, but really it's um, applicable to every area of our, to, to every uh, group that is represented in here this morning. He says this, Pastor Jim wrote this in the book, Truth is knowable. In 1970, Alexander Solzhenitsyn won the Nobel Prize for Literature. In his, Nobel's le- in his Nobel lecture, he said, One word of truth shall outweigh the whole world. In another speech in 1978, he said, quote, Truth is seldom pleasant. It is almost invariably bitter. In 1978, he was dealing with the philosophical problems of, quote, modern culture or modernity. Modernity. Today, as we have heard ad nauseum, we live in a, quote, postmodern world. In the modernist system, there are no absolutes, which is obviously a self-defeating argument. There are absolutely no absolutes. Okay. In the postmodernist system, the statement has changed from there are no absolutes to a simple, I don't know. I don't know. How many of you, you've heard that? Uh, well, just when it comes to God, when it comes to the Bible, uh, it could go either way. I don't know. We live in a know-nothing society. The cultural mindset or way of thinking has changed from a dogmatic truth cannot be known absolutely to, I'm not really sure. This is evident in public opinion polls. The same question may be asked, separated by only a few months with widely varying answers, but the winning answer is usually, I'm not sure. The fact that you can ask some questions and have a so many percent yes and a so many percent no, and there are actually a percentage of undecided, But that's the culture in which we live. What's amazing to me is Spurgeon said it this way. It is remarkable, speaking here of 1 John, it is is remarkable how throughout the whole of John's epistle, he continually uses the word, you guys know it, no. It has quite refreshed me to read through the epistle carefully and how to observe that as the clock strikes the same note again and again, John seems to have kept to this monotone We know, we know, and we know. In this age, when it is fashionable not to know anything, Spurgeon's Day, 1800s, fashionable not to know anything, 
when the professedly learned would hold us in a state of perpetual doubt, and our great poets tell us that there is more faith in honest doubt than in half the creeds, and everybody seems to be bewitched with what is called modern thought, it is quite cheering to one's ear and delicious to one's heart to hear the bell strike out again and again. We know, we know, we know. First John chapter 5 and verse 19, he says, we know, verse 19, and we know. And verse 20 is our text for this morning. And we know, what is it that we know this morning? We know that the Son of God is come. We know that the Son of God is come. And this is what I'm going to look at this morning. First of all, we know, secondly, that this is the Son of God. That is a definite article. It is the Son of God, the one and only, has come. Now, what we're going to examine this morning is this title, the Son of God, in reference to our Lord Jesus Christ. So turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus Christ made the claim to be God. The claim is accurate, and anything less than that is blasphemy. The Son of God is come, John chapter 5. And we're first of all about this title, the title, the Son of God. There's one and only. We're going to see this title defined for us here in the scriptures. John chapter 5 and verse 17. The title is defined. Verse 17 says, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So the title here, the Word of God has defined it for us, that when Jesus Christ claimed that God was his Father, making himself the Son of God, that when you and I think of Father-Son, we think of that Father-Son relationship. That a son would be inferior to his Father. That a son would be... um, that, that a father would be pre-existing to his son. We think of that in, in, in that mindset. But the scripture identifies for us that when Jesus claimed that God was his father, the Jews heard that and understood it, that Christ was saying that he is God. Notice, he accepted their understanding of his claim. Did Jesus go down and say, wait, 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 wait guys, I, I know I said of God's my father, but you're get, picking up, Stone's getting ready to stone me. I didn't mean it that way. Did he do that? He accepted the claim that he is God. Now, he made the claim. There there are still people in our society or in media that somehow, I'd say somehow, they just don't believe the word of God. They think that Christ never claimed to be God. That he was a good teacher. That he was a moral and ethical person. That he was a great prophet. But he wasn't God. Well, he claimed to be God. Now notice this. He had made, had, had Christ made no such claim on any occasion, though the evidence for his deity from other sources would still be conclusive, objectors would be ready to say that a superiority should not be awarded to Christ, which by his silence he virtually disclaimed. So let's say that I've got Denver. Denver, can you stand up for me real quick? I've got Denver, and Denver works installing windows. And I could sit there and debate with Anthony this morning say, Denver is the best window installer you have ever not seen. All right. And Anthony might go, I don't know. I don't think he is. You should see my dad. And so we might debate this back and forth. And if we were to both come to the conclusion, Anthony, after a while, just said, you know what? The evidence that you have presented to me, I believe that you're right. And so he and I agreed on the fact that Denver was the best window installer that we've ever had and ever seen and has ever existed. And then we went to Denver and said, Hey, Denver, we think you are the best window installer ever. 
And if Denver just goes, hmm. We could have all of this evidence. We could have pictures and photos to show you and say, look at these windows that he's installed. I mean, nobody beats this caulking job. How many of you have ever caulked a window? I... (laughs) Caulking when you paint and when doing windows is so unbelievably important, but it's so messy. <laughs> At least maybe I'm not doing it right, I guess. So Denver, you know, he's, he's sitting there, he's caulking and he's licking his finger and sliding it all the way down. Just a perfect sheen to it, a great bevel, and it's just installed right. If Anthony and I made the claim that Denver was the best window installer and caulker we have ever seen, but Denver remained silent on the subject, and you were standing there, you might think, well, hmm. Denver's not really stepping up and claiming that he's the best installer. Maybe he's a humble guy. Or you might think maybe there's somebody that he knows that's greater. Somebody that he knows that's better. Thanks, Denver. You can sit down. Now let's have Andrea stand up. she got a new hairdo. No, okay. (laughs) So let me read this quote again. Had Christ made no such claim on any occasion, though the evidence of his deity, the miracles that he did, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of, of the lame, the healing of the sick, though he would have had those evidences from other sources, they would be conclusive. Objectors to Christ's deity would say, well, he never claimed it for himself. Maybe there's somebody that he knows that's greater. Maybe there's something that he knows that we don't. But Christ claimed to be God. And we see that title defined for us here in our text in John. Not only was the title defined, but the title signifies equality with God. Equality in power, in duration, in knowledge, in every area, Jesus Christ is God. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, eternally existent with God the Father, God the Spirit. Eternally existent, one God in three persons. Not only is the title defined, but the title is declared. Look at John chapter 10. The Son of God is come. The title is declared. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, we find here the Lord says very plainly, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Now, did Jesus, when he said, I and my father are one, and the Jews said, you're making yourself equal with God, and they're picking up stones, getting ready to hurl them at him. Did he go, wait, 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 guys, 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 no, no, no. I mean, I mean, let, let me explain what I mean here. Or did he accept their interpretation of what he said? This guy, this uh, Baptist preacher, Brantley, he was a pastor of uh, the Second Baptist Church in Baltimore. He said his non-repudiation, his acceptance of their interpretation, attests its correctness. And in his case, it is equivalent to the assertion of the claim for himself. The truth is, his language can have no other meaning. And it's plain in our view that he intended it to convey just the meaning which they accepted. It is as if he said, My father worketh hitherto on the Sabbath day in his providence. He heals the sick on this day. He makes the sun to rise in the set. He sends the rain on this day and on that day. He makes the grass to grow and the flowers to bloom on this day. And I, who am his son, work also in the same manner and with the same authority, being the Lord of the Sabbath, As he is. So Jesus Christ made this claim. The Jews understood that he was making himself equal with God. And Christ never rebuked them for that interpretation of what he said. 
So you have the title defined that Jesus Christ as the Son of God is God, that the title was declared. And also look in John chapter 14. The Lord not only declared it to the Jews, these unbelieving Jews that accused Christ of blasphemy because of their unbelief, but in John chapter 14, He declares it to His disciples. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says here to Thomas, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye have known him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. God, just just show us the Father, and it will be sufficient. What is Jesus' answer? Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Now, can I take just a moment, look in John chapter 1. I want you to see how Philip started out. This is so cool. Philip's approach and faith in God and approach to the Scriptures is something that he should have maintained. And uh, I say that he should have maintained. Um, It it seems like there in John chapter 14, his faith was shaken some in the Lord. But in John chapter 1, in verse 43... The word of God says, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. How did Philip start out in his faith? The Lord called him, and he said, First of all, he had a knowledge of the scriptures. He knew what Moses said, which is something that every Christian should strive for, right? To have a knowledge of the scriptures. But not only a knowledge, but he had confidence and faith in the word of God. He said the things that Moses wrote about, the one who Moses wrote about, and the prophets, the branch, the root of Jesse, the son of David, he is come and he's telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you come to John chapter 14 and uh, the Lord has just told Peter that he would deny him. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was pointing to his deity here with Philip. Philip would knew the scriptures. He had faith in them, but he also had to have faith in the Lord that was standing in front of him as God. So the title was defined. It was declared. Uh, Hebrews 1.3, we won't take the time to look there. The word of God says that Christ being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the express image of God's person. And then Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now check this out. Not only was the Son of God declared by Jesus Christ, but notice what the demons said about him. In Matthew 8.28 it says, And when he was come to the other side of the country of the, uh, this place called like Gergesenes, gurgling something, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? You say, wow, the demons, they knew that Jesus was the Son of God? Oh, yeah. And James 2.19 says that thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And this is where we're going to see that the Son of God, understanding that Jesus Christ is God, it is more, this is a much more important issue than understanding that intellectually, than having a head knowledge of that. The demons, they know who the Son of God is. The devils believe in God and tremble. Well, number three, 
this title is demonstrated. I love what Brantley said here about this. He said, it might be said that the mere claim of anyone to a character proves nothing. Okay? I could say that I am the best window installer in the world. I could make that claim. That doesn't prove anything. Someone says, well, Jesus Christ claimed to be God. He lived on this earth and he did a lot of good things. But did he ever prove that he was God, that he could lay claim to the title Son of God? An imposter may claim to be the king of the realm. Even a good man, through the imperfections of his judgment, may claim for himself prerogatives to which he has no title. There are some of you in here who could claim that you could dunk a basketball. It is admitted that one claim that one claiming a divine nature should be prepared to furnish the world with such sufficient reasons for such a claim. Did Jesus Christ demonstrate this claim? Well, we know about the feeding of the five thousand. We know about the, the, the lame that he said, get up to rise and walk. We know about the ones who were blind that he made to see. But let's go to the pinnacle demonstration that Jesus gave us that he is the son of God. Look with me in Romans chapter 1. The son of God is come. Romans chapter 1. And verse number, we'll start in verse number uh, three here. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. God has declared that his son is God. He says, Thy throne, O God, is forever settled in heaven. And Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, died to shed perfect sinless blood for your sins and for my sins. And He rose again from the dead to declare that He is God and He is true and He is the only way to the Father. So this world says, did Jesus Christ make that claim? Uh, He absolutely did. Did the Jews, did they just mistakenly cast that title on him? No, because he didn't rebuke them or correct them and and change the interpretation that they had of him claiming to be God. And not only did he claim to be God, but he demonstrated that by rising from the dead. Now notice this with me. Not only is the title demonstrated, but this title is deserved. This title is deserved. To call God anything less than God is blasphemy to call Jesus Christ, our Lord, anything less or ascribe to him anything less than God is blasphemy. Look at uh, look with me in Philippians chapter two. We're here in Romans. Turn just a few books over to first Corinthians, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians and Philippians, Philippians chapter two. And with this, keep this verse in mind. The Bible says in Isaiah 42, eight, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God says, my glory, it is mine. I'm not going to share that with anyone. Well, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You see, this was a title that was deserved. It was not robbery. He wasn't stealing anything from God by declaring to be God. Because he is God. And he says in verse number seven, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant 
and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God put his stamp of approval on the Son of God as being worthy of praise, of being worthy of glory. He says, my glory I will not give to another, but it's okay for Jesus to receive praise because he is worthy the honor due unto his name. He's God. He is God. Now, here's where a lot of that, it's not really new stuff for you. But notice with me what happens in our day and age when we live in a, in a postmodern society that goes around and they rejoice in the position, I don't really know. We get to share with them the fact that Jesus Christ does know, and he declared to be the Son of God with power. And not only that, but look with me in 1 John chapter 4. Look what would happen. Look what was going to creep in, even in John's day as he wrote this. He says, the Son of God is come, but there was something very important that we needed to be aware of, and a warning that John gave us to heed. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, Beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. It's central to our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so many of the cults are just off and they are wrong on who the Lord Jesus Christ is. I was reading some material about the Jehovah's Witnesses and going to their website, and they do not believe in the eternality of Jesus Christ. They believe in Jehovah, but they believe that Jesus Christ was a created being. My friend, he was not. And we see from the scriptures that the scriptures declare that he is the eternal word. Uh, there in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So God manifests himself in the flesh. But John said, there will be some who come that deny this claim. Now notice those that deny this claim, what are they? They are false prophets. They are a spirit of Antichrist. Look with me. We're here in 1 John. Look at the next book at 2 John. Uh, just one chapter here in this, in this book. 2 John chapter 7. The Bible says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. These who do not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they are not the Antichrist, but what are they? An Antichrist. So there will be forerunners to the Antichrist. There will be foreshadowings or, or uh, examples of an Antichrist in our day and age that will picture the Antichrist to come. Now, let's look at when the Antichrist comes, what exactly will be his position on the Lord Jesus Christ. How will he view Jesus Christ? Look with me at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. And I'm looking at this because 
and I didn't bring the example in with me. I should have taken more time to get it for you this morning. But there are so many false prophets, deceivers, that are in our day that fly their names under the banner of Christianity. Um, You've got phrases like the emergent church. The emergent church. And I was reading uh, something by, I was reading John, an exposition of this passage, called an exposition. I was reading an interpretation of this passage by a guy named Brian McLaren. And he took, you know, (laughs) some of you, how many of you know him? I just learned about him this week. But I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, sometimes you think these guys, their understanding of Christ is so far off, maybe just because they haven't read it. Well, no, he read it. He just took a penknife and butchered it, you know. Like Haldeman, uh, lambasting this guy Fosdick back in their day. He wrote, The Modern Use of the Bible is the way Harry Emerson Fosdick, a book that he wrote, The Modern Use of the Bible. And what Haldeman identified in that situation was that Fosdick will use theologically orthodox words and phrases, but he means something completely different. He'll talk about the resurrection of Christ just not the resurrection of Christ in the flesh, the way that you and I understand the word of God teaches it. And as Brian McLaren goes through John chapter 14 and shows us in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Brian McLaren takes that and really just butchers it. He says, all these Christians that use it so dogmatically and place their interpretation upon it, let's put it in its context. And then he gives it a context that doesn't even, it's not even there. So he talks about that principle that we're teaching our young people to take the word of God and understand it in a context that any text without a context is a pretext. He even uses that phrase and then throws in a context that is not in the passage. So you come away from there when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is saying that Jesus Christ is the way, he's the truth, and the life. And there is no getting to God apart from him. I didn't say that, we just read it. Just read what it says. And in our day... It's, it's nothing new because John said there will be people that come in. They're, they're deceivers. They are false prophets. They will use orthodox phrases. I've got a friend from high school that she gave me her confirmation paper from the Lutheran church. And man, I've, I've got friends that are Lutherans. But you read down through her confirmation and they receive Christ through communion is what she said they believed. Using orthodox phrases to teach something the Bible does not teach. Man, salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. I don't receive Jesus Christ through communion or through baptism. And hey, I've been baptized. I've been a member of a couple churches in my life. But that doesn't have anything to do with me going to heaven. Nothing to do with it. And he says here, it's called A Reading of John 14.6 by Brian McLaren. John 14.6. You guys know the context? Christ says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. One of the disciples, I think it's Thomas, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, to me, the dynamic core of this passage is found not in verse 6, but in verse 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Here the irony becomes nearly unbearable to me as we contrast this statement with the conventional interpretation of verse 6. Jesus says in verse 9 that the invisible God has been made visible in his life. If you want to know what God looks like, Jesus says, Look at me, my life, my way, my deeds, my character. 
And what has that character been? One of exclusion, rejection, constriction, elitism, favoritism, and condemnation. Well, condemnation of the Pharisees who didn't believe what he said. And forgiveness to the harlot woman and all tax collectors and publicans. Of course not. Jesus' way has been compassion, healing, acceptance, forgiveness, inclusion, and love from beginning to end. But our conventional interpretation of verse 6 seems to say that, forget all that. Forget everything you've seen in me, the way I've lived and treated people, the way I've accepted tax collectors, the way that I've welcomed a Roman centurion and a Samaritan woman. Forget all that. Believe instead that God will reject everyone except people who share your doctrinal viewpoints with me about me because I won't let anyone get to the Father unless they get by me first. It makes me want to scream. Sorry. Yeah, Jesus just said, if you don't come to the Father but through me, you ain't getting there. It's not what I said. It's not my interpretation. It's just what he said. And so you have people in the emergent church that just butcher the doctrine of Christ. And in uh, Revelation chapter 13, notice the spirit. Of, notice this is the Antichrist, not just the spirit of Antichrist. But in verse number five, he says, and there was uh, this is Revelation 13, five. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So the spirit of Antichrist or when John says there are deceivers and an Antichrist, the Antichrist here blasphemes the name of God. By And we see in Second Thessalonians that the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple of God as God and receive worship as God. And he is blaspheming Jesus Christ. Because God said, my glory will not give to another. There is a name that I have exalted that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. So here we have the, um, the title is deserved. And the title is, notice this with me, it is distinguished. This title is distinguished. Look with me in 1 John, where we began this morning. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we know that Him that is true and we are in Him that is true. And Lord willing, we're going to look at more about that tonight. But look at this. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we have a government, we have politicians that want to do away with the name of Jesus Christ. We have, we have national monuments that you can't stand next to and pray. You'll be asked by the authorities to leave. You can't pray in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's distinguished him. And you know, in Jesus' day, man responded in different ways. Some believed and some believed not. And in our day, when it comes down to the deity of Jesus Christ, we must declare what he has said in the scriptures. And there will be those that believe and those that don't believe. But know and understand that this title is distinguished. It is only reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Allah, not Buddha, not Confucius, not some person or man as the humanists would like to make man his own God. Not you, Bubba. It is a title that is reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every other God is a false God. They are dumb idols that cannot save. They have eyes, the Bible says, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. They have hands, but they cannot save. Jesus Christ is the God of gods, and He can save you from your sins.
The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have been separated from God forever in our sin. And when you go back and look at what John, the way that he did condemn the Pharisees, because he said, you believe not on me. And if you believe not on me and you die in your sins, he told them that they would spend an eternity separated from him forever in hell. We have a God who told us the truth and is able to save because he gave his life's blood for us on the cross. You see, if Jesus was just another prophet, if he was just another man, when he died on the cross, he cannot pay for your sins or mine. But he is God. And when he died on that cross, he shed his perfect, sinless blood to save you, to forgive you, and so you could spend eternity with him forever in heaven and escape hell. That's the other thing this guy, Brian McLaren, talks about. Just, you know, everybody thinks that religion and Jesus is just an escape hatch to get out of hell. Well, I'm glad the escape hatch is there. And you know, this word, it is about Jesus Christ being lifted up and him getting the glory. But how does that come? Through me getting to escape hell because I have accepted Jesus Christ by faith as my personal Savior. What about you this morning? You've heard the claim. Jesus said it right there in his word. He's more than a prophet. He is God. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. Do you believe that you're a sinner? You know, the Bible says that our sin is bad enough to take us to hell. But Jesus Christ loves you and he gave his life for you. And he demonstrated through his resurrection that he is the only God who is able to save. Have you placed your faith and your trust in him? If not, today needs to be the day that you do that. Believer, what think ye of Christ? We live in a world that diminishes the name, that tries to erase the name, says, uh, don't, don't put that name up here. Uh, d- d- don't, don't bring that Bible in here. What think ye of Christ? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are going to worship Him and give Him the honor and the glory due His name. And we are able to do that by living for Him with our lives. And can we ever pay the Lord back? No. But man, we can demonstrate our love for Him by living for Him and obeying His commandments. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the opportunity.